We're so glad you're here today. God bless you for coming on this beautiful Sunday. I know there's a, the day in which we live, there's a lot of things to do on Sunday. Sunday used to be a sacred day. Now it's just another day of the week. But you've chosen to start your day uh, at the house of God. And I just want to say thank you for that so very, very much. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. At the conclusion of our service, as you exit the sanctuary, there will be buckets at the doors. If you, uh, you can give online here at Family Worship Center. In fact, we have uh, close to 60, between 60 and 70 percent of our money now comes in online. And uh, you can give online. Uh, you can text or you can go to our website or as you exit today, there will be buckets at the door. Um, I want to encourage you, the ministry has not stopped. In fact, the ministry is going on. Uh, we don't have Wednesday night services here, but we have, we have ministry going on every single day of the week. In just a couple of weeks, our Mother's Day, our Parents' Day Out program will be ramped up again. We've made all the necessary CDC arrangements to make sure we keep our children and our instructors safe on that. That's a ministry of this church, a great ministry. In fact, we've had uh, quite a few new enrollees in our Parents' Day Out because so many churches have shut theirs down. And there's just no place for children to go. We're also working right now. We're presently, we're just trying to find needs to fill them. And we're presently working on uh, uh, creating a, a ministry center here where children who are homes, who are having to be home due to the, the coronavirus, that they can come here in a safe environment during the day and do their classes with a proctor and, a, and somebody overseeing them. We're working on that right now. A lot of our parents have their children at home. They're at work. Parents are at work, and the children are at home, and that's creating a, a difficult situation for a lot of our parents. So we're trying to remedy that, trying to find a way to be a blessing to our community. All of these things cost money, and we're only able to do them through your generosity. And I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness to Family Worship Center. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's begin reading with verse number 3. And I'm going to read it beginning in the New King James Version. Uh, that's uh, King James's uh, younger son, New King James. And it says this, Paul is talking here to young Timothy, who's a minister, a pastor, and this is what he tells him. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. So Paul's saying, I pray for you, Timothy. I pray for you in the morning. I pray for you at night. He says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call the rem to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now notice Paul says, I recognize faith that was in you, Timothy. I saw it when we were together. And he says, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Parents, do you realize what you have is transferred to your children? The Bible says here that Paul says, I see a faith in you, Timothy. I saw it in your grandmother, and I see it in you. And they've passed it down to you. 
And then he says in verse 6, Therefore I remind you, he's, he's, he's putting Timothy in remembrance, Stir up the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands, Paul said, I laid hands upon you, and there was an impartation that took place. He says, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. In 1933, anybody remember 1933? Anybody? Sure, there, there's somebody. Yeah, 1933, the United States of America was buried in the throes of the Great Depression. Panic had shattered Wall Street, and family fortunes had vanished overnight. Many, many who could not face the loss of their wealth ended their lives when the stock market crashed. Over 25% of all Americans were out of work. When the Great Depression hit, over 25% of all Americans were out of work. Now remember, this was in 1933, when a man was expected to work. This was a different day, okay? If you didn't work in 1933, you and your family didn't eat. Therefore, many were on the verge of starvation. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people lived in tent cities and cardboard uh, shacks on the streets. Granted, it was not in protest as they're doing today. It was out of desperation. The country was on the brink of anarchy. And on March the 4th, 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed a worn and weary nation. In his first inaugural address, President Roosevelt echoed a slogan that over almost 100 years later, people still remember it. When he said, the only thing we have to fear is what? Fear itself. President Roosevelt's words buoyed a fearful nation. He recognized that fear's destructive power was our nation's greatest enemy. I want you to know coronavirus is not our enemy today. It is an enemy, but it's not our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is the spirit of fear. From President Roosevelt's own battle with polio, He had learned the creative power of hope and courage. So he challenged the American people to rise above their fears. And the American people did. For the next six years, it didn't end overnight. For the next six years, most Americans lived without the basic necessities of life. But somehow, the people of America made it through. They buoyed themselves and they made it through. And they put aside their fears and they hoped for a better day. Today, as we navigate this pandemic known as COVID, we are likewise dealing with a disease far greater than a virus. The disease that each one of us must deal with is the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. Often the ravages of a physical disease can be seen immediately. You can measure COVID 
You can really measure it in any disease by doctor's visits, hospital admissions, and even body counts. Daily, I receive reports from the local media, and the state of Tennessee pops up on my phone detailing how many new cases of COVID, how many people are recovering from COVID, and how many people, unfortunately, died from COVID. Yet with the spirit of fear, the results are not easily measured. We know how many's got COVID. We know how many have recovered and we know how many have died. But when it comes to the spirit of fear, you can't measure that as well. Sometimes the spirit of fear can happen 20 years ago, one moment, and this happens in your life. One single solitary moment can happen in our life. A spirit of fear grabs a hold of us, and we allow that thing to plague us for the rest of our lives. The spirit of fear can harass a person for their entire life, rendering them incapable of living their best life possible. The spirit of fear is not like covid It doesn't show up and eventually wear itself out. The spirit of fear will stay with you forever if you allow it to. It can harass and paralyze you and keep you from God's best. So I want to talk to you this morning for the next few moments that we have. We've got 19 minutes. I want to talk to you about the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. See, there's a difference between something happening and fear coming to you and the spirit of fear attacking you and being latched on to you. Number one, understand this. The spirit of fear does not come from God. The spirit of fear. Notice what he says. Everybody look at 2 Timothy 1.7 again. Notice what he says. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit tells this young man, Timothy, he says to him, understand God is not the author of fear. When fear comes, it does not come from God. That, that's why you need to understand, COVID is not from God. Terrorism is not from God. Domestic violence is not from God. He's not using a, a man to beat you up, mom, just to prove to teach you something. That's the craziest thing. It's not from God. Fear is not from God. I know people right now. I know people. I am personally aware of people right now who refuse to leave their home. We've been six months into this thing. And they refuse to leave their home because they are afraid of the coronavirus. Science has proven that if you take proper precautions, the chances of you getting this virus are very remote. But these people are still a prisoner in their home. Why? It's not the virus. It's the spirit of fear. Individuals, I know individuals, who are plagued by the fear of germs. And they're tormented right now more than ever before because of this pandemic. I personally have friends who are so plagued by the fear of germs that before the pandemic, they wash their hands 100 times a day. 
because they could not stand. They're so afraid of germs. They wash their hands 100 times a day. Now, all they do is wash their hands. They are hand-washing people. Today, they're tormented and in prison. They can't go anywhere because they are, they are so bound by the spirit of fear and scared they're not going to be able to wash their hands. According to Forbes magazine, there are nine top fears that people deal with. Nine top fears. And here they are. Number one, it's the fear of snakes or fear of bugs. Nine top fear, the fear of bugs. Especially, see if, see if you, uh, this is one of yours. Fear of bugs, especially spiders, mice, and snakes. Manda told me yesterday, I said, I can't stand snakes. I can't stand snakes. I can't stand. Anybody else fearful of snakes? Bugs, spiders? There was a frog. She opened the off my office door two weeks ago, and a frog was at the door and jumped in. I thought she'd died of a heart attack. And you know what? The spirit of fear that's on somebody else, it'll jump on you. Because the next thing I knew, watching her being so fearful, that spirit of fear got on me and I was running from a frog. The number one fear of most people is fear of bugs, spiders, mice, snakes. The second one is fear of heights. Fear of heights. The third one is fear of water. Or drowning. Number four, fear of public transportation. Now that one's got me. That, that one shocked me. Shocked me. I think they're more afraid of people on the public transportation than the fear of public transportation. Five, every one of us can identify with it, the fear of storms. Fear of storms. I've noticed here in Murfreesboro, more than anywhere Amanda and I have lived, there is an unusual fear of storms here. When, when the a thunderstorm or a tornado warning come, people start to panic in this area. And granted, mainly because of what they've been through, what this community has been through. But it grabs people and it, it paralyzes people so they can't function properly through that moment in life. The fear of closed places, being shut in somewhere, claustrophobia. Anybody deal with that fear? Anybody deal? The fear of tunnels and bridges. The fear of crowds and the fear of public speaking. Anybody deal with the fear of public speaking? I do. I deal. When I come out here and look at some of you knotheads, I get scared all over again every Sunday. The Holy Spirit specifically tells us that these tormenting and imprisoning fears do not come from God. No human being on earth lives totally free of fear. I know there's some of us guys who want to be tough and macho and, and we're, we, we're not scared of anything. The truth of the matter is every one of us have some, at some moment in our life are dealing with some temptation to fear. Did you know that fear was the immediate consequence of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden? God did not create man to fear. God did not create an environment in which fear was present. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis, turn over to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. Let's read a few verses here. 
Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Verse 2, the woman says, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, You must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. See, that's what Satan's always doing. He's always trying to get you and I to believe different than what God said. Verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be open. As soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Do you understand the only wisdom? Notice what God says, uh, what Satan said. Satan says, if you eat of, the, of that tree, God knows you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. Do you know the only wisdom that man gained when he ate from the tree? Uh, fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know the only thing he gained that he did not have? He gained the knowledge of evil. There's nothing Satan tempts you with that's going to better your life. Nothing. He says, Satan says, you'll be like God. You'll know the knowledge of good and evil. And the the only knowledge she gained that she did not have The only knowledge that mankind gained by following Satan was the knowledge of evil because they already had the knowledge of good. It was as good as it was going to get. So he took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, verse 7, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Verse 10, He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Here's the first introduction. I was afraid because I was naked. Do you know before man sinned, before they ate of that fruit, there was no such thing as fear in mankind's life. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth. They were in control. But when mankind sinned, they, res- they surrendered their dominion and the force of evil took over, rendering them vulnerable. Opening the door to fear. Now let's unpack these few verses. Look at verse 8 again. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I find it interesting that God asked Adam, he said to Adam, Why are you afraid? Why are you scared? When folks tell me they're afraid of something, the first question I ask them is what? Why are you afraid? What are you scared of? 
God didn't ask Adam and Eve what they were scared of. He asked them, who told you you were naked? Do you see that? When people say, well, I'm scared. Where are you at? Well, I was, scared. I, was, I was afraid. I was scared. Well, what are you scared of? That's the first question we normally ask. What are you scared of? God never asked him what he was scared of. God said, who told you you were naked? You see, God was pointing out that their disobedience placed them in a vulnerable position. A position of being out of control. And when we feel out of control, fear is the result. That's when we deal with fear. Satan is the author of the spirit of fear. He wants to put you and I in a continual position that we're out of control and he reigns superior. That's why it's important that you and I know who we are in Christ so we can remind Satan that he's underneath our feet regardless of the circumstance that we might find ourselves in. When my thoughts and emotions become tormented, And imprisoned by fear, I must realize that those feelings, that fear does not come from God. And I have to take authority over it. If you and I do not take authority over the spirit of fear, it will consume our life. And I'll tell you something about fear. It just don't stop with the fear of snakes or the fear of heights or the fear of crowds. It will invade every part of your life. Satan will keep taking and keep taking and keep taking and keep taking. That's why you and I, when we sense fear, when we feel it, because you can't live life without feeling it from time to time, we've got to take authority over it. Now, so understand, number one, God is not the, uh, does not bring fear. It doesn't come from God. Number two, there is healthy and there is unhealthy fears. There's healthy and there's unhealthy fears. Understand this, fear is an emotion experienced in anticipation of some specific pain or danger. Fear is an emotion experienced in anticipation of some specific pain or danger and is usually accompanied by a desire to flee or fight. Fear can be real or it can be imagined. When fear... Understand this, when fear serves as a warning for impending danger or a life-threatening situation, it is very necessary at that moment and life-preserving. If we, didn't see, if we don't sense the pain of fear in certain situations, we would unknowingly react inappropriately at times and place our lives at risk. So there is some things called a healthy fear. Uh, For example, a child who touches a hot stove has not learned about a healthy fear. Since they don't possess a healthy fear, they place themselves at risk. How many of you remember when you were a teenager? I know that was a long time for some of you. You you remember you were a teenager, and as a teenager, we have a tendency to, we we think we're indestructible. We think we can do anything, go 24 hours a day, put ourselves in any position, and nothing will ever bother us. Why? Because we haven't learned a moderation of a healthy fear. And sometimes teenagers put themselves at risk. 
Not because they're rebellious. It's just because they're not wise enough to understand a healthy fear. At the same time, if a fear is imagined, or if it's irrational, it can be paralyzing and hold us back from living the life, a full life of productivity and living a full life. There's a healthy fear that's there to protect us. There's an unhealthy fear that's there to paralyze us. This is what happens when a person comes under the influence of the spirit of fear. The imagined fear paralyzes them and imprisons them from experiencing everything that God has for them. Now understand this. Healthy fear teaches us healthy limits. The healthiest fear is the fear of the Lord. I I need to teach a whole two weeks on the fear of the Lord. Look with me at Psalm 111. Psalm 111, verse number 10. Psalm 111. How many brought your Bibles or it on the phone or something? Good, good, good. Psalm 111, verse 10. If you're joining us by, by live stream, wherever you are, we have people joining us all over the world. If you're joining us by live stream, thank you for joining us. We're in Psalm 111, verse number 10. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Everybody say the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. Now there's a difference between the spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord. Number one, there is the fear of the Lord that comes from God, but there's the spirit of fear that comes from Satan. The fear of the Lord does not strike terror in our hearts. Whereas the fear of Satan, the spirit of fear, makes you afraid. It paralyzes you. It causes you to run and hide. It, 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 it puts us in prison. It keeps us from living our very best. It torments us day and night. It keeps us from going places and do things we would normally do. Why? Because we're afraid. It strikes terror in our heart. That's the spirit of fear. But the fear of the Lord does not strike terror to our hearts. It gives birth to wisdom in our life. The fear of the Lord does not result in being afraid of God, but being in awe of God. This fear, the awe of God, causes reverence and honor for the things of God in our life. Here's something. I've, I've, I've been serving the Lord since I was 10, and I'm 62. So I've been serving the Lord for 52 years. I've been in full-time ministry uh, in a couple of months. It'll be 40 years, full-time, 40 years. Um, and here's something that I've learned. I, I, I've messed up so many times. Some of the, I look back over my ministry, and I, I, sometimes I just, oh, what an idiot. What a crazy idiot. Some of the things I've said, some of the things I've done, I'm just ashamed of. But there are a few things that I've learned. And here's one of the f- major things I've learned. And it's this, the Lord never draws close where he is not reverenced. 
The Lord never draws close where he's not reverenced. The Lord never draws close where he is not reverenced. In Leviticus chapter 9, Moses is giving instructions. He's received instructions from the Lord on how to consecrate the tabernacle, how to consecrate the people, how to set them apart to be able to worship God without judgment and wrath. And he is, he is given instructions on how to prepare and offer a sin offering. And he's given instructions on how to prepare and offer a burnt offering so that the people can be acceptable to God. And we pick it up in Leviticus chapter 9. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 9, verse number 22. Now, the book of Leviticus is not one of those books that you want to do in your daily devotion. You start doing the book of Leviticus. You get up in the morning. If you do your devotions early in the morning, if you read out of the book of Leviticus, you'll be mad all day long. You'll be cutting people and... and and don't do it at night before you go to bed. You'll have nightmares of... <laughs> the book of Leviticus is not where you want to be for your daily... It's one of those books you go back and refer to. But you don't stay a long time in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering and the burn offering and the peace offering. Verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Now notice verse, this next sentence. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Verse 24, And fire came from, out from the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw the fire, or saw it, the fire that came from heaven, Fire came down from heaven and consumed their offering because they did it according to the plan and purpose of God. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now go to the next chapter, Leviticus chapter 10, verse number 1 and 2. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 10, verse... Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer... And put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded him. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Now look at verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Let me tell you something. A lot of this stuff we're seeing today in the church, it doesn't have the blessings of God on it. Don't get caught up in the excitement of a lot of things. Don't get caught up in the just because the crowds are showing up. A lot of this stuff doesn't have the blessings of God on it simply because there's no reverence for God. Notice, notice, the Spirit of God fell, the fire of God fell, the holiness of God fell, and then two preachers, two preachers went and got their big lighter 
and they lit their censers. And, they, and the Bible says it was a fake fire. It looked the same. It provided the same heat. And a lot of people in the crowd couldn't tell the difference. But God can tell the difference. It's a fake fire, and God calls it a profane fire. Listen, we must, in this day in which everything is so casual, everything is so flippant, everything is, we we are against structure, we're against anything that has any type of rules and regulation, we must return to a reverence for God. Now, not every structure, not not every method that we used to do, some of that was irreverent as well. Some of that's just, just types and shadows and methods and, and death. But in our heart, we must return to a reverence for God. The Lord's glory will not appear where He's not reverenced. God said, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Psalm 89. Turn over to Psalm 89. And the fear of the Lord is where we reverence God. We understand He's holy. Psalm 89, verse 6 and 7. The psalmist says this, For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly... Now notice this. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And to be held in reverence by all those around him. I'll teach on this later, but we we sing that song, I am a friend of God. How many of you are a friend of God? And you know that song, and that's a wonderful song, and I love it dearly. But the truth of the matter is, the book of Psalms tells us that God is only friends with those who reverence him. So there's a lot of Christians that are not friends of God, not because God doesn't love them, but because they don't have any reverence for God in their life. So the spirit of fear, number one, does not come from God. Number two, there is a healthy, and then there's an unhealthy fear. Fear of God is healthy. Unhealthy fear is uh, the spirit of fear. Now, I want to finish with this. Man, my time is up. But I can't keep you bound by fear. Real quick, real quick. Well, if you're bound by fear, I might buy my new tape series, How to Escape Fear, for 1995. Uh, let me show you how to escape the prison of fear, real quickly. Number one, acknowledge the fear. You've got to acknowledge your fear. Stop being macho. Stop being something. If you're scared of something, acknowledge. You know, I'm, I, that bothers me. That scares me. Denying or ignoring a reality is not a spiritual weapon against any of Satan's schemes. Did you hear me? Ign- denying or ignoring a reality in your life is not a spiritual weapon against Satan's attacks against your life. In fact, admitting a weakness or a hang-up is not a sign of weakness. It's evidence of humility. Admitting, hey, I'm, this bothers me. This scares me. Can I tell you, can I be transparent with you? I tell you, this stuff I see happening in our cities, this, this, this violence and anger, this disrespect for authority, it scares me. 
I can talk all I want to about, well, I got me a gun, and I got me an, I got me an AR-15, and I tell you, you ain't coming to my house. Bless God, I want you to. And I see some of you, po- just show up at my house. Just show up. Listen, this stuff scares me. I'll be honest, it scares me. We've got to have God to come in here and protect us. If you think a gun is going to protect you from a mob, you are as deceived as you can be. We need the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ignoring or denying a reality is not an effective tactic against the scheme of Satan. Understand, admitting a weakness or a hang-up or a fear is not a sign of weakness. It is the evidence of humility. And what did James 4, 6 say? God gives, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And then, so first of all, you've got to admit it. Number two, the second thing is you've got to analyze the fear you've acknowledged. Analyze it. Step back say, you know, I'm fearful of bugs. I'm fearful of flying. I'm fearful of my neighbor. I'm fearful of people. I'm fearful of failure. I, you know, I've got this fear in my life, and it's at times held me back from accomplishing what God wants me to accomplish. Then you analyze it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Notice what it says, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend upon your understanding. Do you realize, I believe you do, you know this, when something fearful happens, it starts attacking your mind. Some of us have had a fearful moment, have had a tragic moment, have had an unfortunate moment, have had a heartbreaking moment, a terrible moment in our life 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 2 years ago, and that thing now, although it only happened once, and although it only happened for just a fraction of the moment of our life, that thing now is so built up in our life, it's still going on. And its power and its debilitating effects is still present on me today. Today, though it might have happened years ago. Why? Because we're leaning to our own understanding. So we must analyze it. The spirit of fear preys on our minds and thought life. And when whatever event or moment introduced that fear into our life, it has been rehearsed over and over and over again in our mind. We've replayed it so many times. Now it's a huge thing. And in reality, it was a moment of your past. The writer of Proverbs warns us not to lean on our own understanding. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and what? A sound mind. Some of you are scared of things that happened years ago because it happened one time, and you're not even operating in a sound mind in that area. We are told that the average person entertains fifty to 60,000 thoughts a day. Fifty to 60,000 thoughts a day. And then we're told that 90% of those thoughts are repetitive. So you can see how easy it is to allow one bad moment that happened years ago, to consume your life. You have 60,000 thoughts a day, and 54,000 of them are of the same reoccurring nightmare. You can see how it can paralyze you. Number one, acknowledge the fear, real over imagined. Number two, analyze the fear you have acknowledged. And number three, face it. Face your fear. This is the hard one. 
I've had to do this over and over again. Face your fear. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked run away when no one is chasing, but the godly are as bold as lions. When we run and hide because of fear, we are displaying the behavior of the wicked. Did you know that? When you shy away because of an imagined fear or an unrealistic fear or the spirit of fear, when you shy away, when you shy away, you, you and I are displaying the behavior of the wicked. The Bible says the wicked flee when no man pursues. You know what they're saying? You know what that scripture says? It's not reality. Nobody's after them, but the spirit of fear has got a hold of them, and they're running. Most of the things we're dealing with are not reality in our life, the fear, but we shy away from it and run from it. We are carrying on the behavior of the wicked. The wicked flee when nobody's pursued, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Now understand that feeling fear... And submitting to fear are two different things. Feeling fear and submitting to fear are two different things. You're going to feel fear. You're going to feel it. When you get in a situation that circumstances have moved beyond your control, that's, and you become vulnerable, fear will try to attack you. Fear will try to attack you just like lust will try to attack you. Just like jealousy will try to attack you. Anger will try to attack you. So you can feel these things, but you do not have to surrender to those things. And I've learned, and I still practice it. I still practice it. When I find myself in a fearful situation, and it's not a healthy fear like danger or something of that nature, I have to, I have to face it. I have to run toward that situation. You say, well, aren't you scared? You better believe I'm scared. I've walked into meetings where I knew I was going to be attacked. And my wife can tell you that there have been meetings I've walked into that I've cried in her presence before I went. Because I was afraid. I've been in meetings where I would have to hold my hand because when, a, when fear tries to get on me, it causes my hands to shake. I don't know why. Don't ever want fear to get on you when you're picking your nose. You'll <laughs> pick it all the way up into your sinuses. But I've noticed, I've been in court. I've been in court. I've had to go to court and be character witness. I remember there was a, I was for a couple. They were going through a divorce. And the, it just so happened to be this time, because I've seen it happen on both cases. This time, the husband had gotten the meanest attorney in town. And the husband was the, he was the guilty party in this one. I've seen where there's some mean wives. Ooh. But this time it was the husband. He had not, he had done wrong. She hadn't. He got the meanest attorney in town. And that attorney crucified me. It was to the point I could hardly, I don't know, I, I wished I could stop. But that fear came on me. And I ain't, I, I ain't done nothing. I didn't do anything. But I could hardly get off the, the, the platform where I gave my testimony. My legs were shaking. My hands were shaking. It was just fear. And I've just had to learn over the years when that feeling of fear comes, I've got to press through it. If I don't press through it, 
it will consume me. And it will keep me from being next time what God needs me to be. Whatever the fear is that's holding you back, you've got to face it. You've got to press through it and remind it that it does not dominate you. Amen? So much more I could say, but we've got to clean the sanctuary and you're tired. And so st- stand up with me, would you? There's been some times I've been scared to go home. And I don't mind telling you, I'd make two blocks around the neighborhood instead of just pulling right in. Praying, oh God, help me. Oh God, oh God. If this is my day to see you, glory to God. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you're bound by fear. Maybe this pandemic is causing you to act in ways that you know it's not you. Maybe you're not sleeping at night. Maybe something's happened in your past, a traumatic moment, and it keeps coming up, and it's just harassing your thought life. You don't have to live with that. That's not God's will for your life. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Man, denying a Some other people will be up here to pray with you if you're dealing with fear. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we'd love to have you and pray with you and have you join our family as Christians. Not this church, but the Christian family in faith. If you're following us by by live stream, wherever you are, just simply call on the Lord if you're dealing with fear. Wherever you are, just call on the Lord. He's greater than that spirit of fear. Just say, Lord, come and help me overcome this spirit of fear. Deliver me from this fearful, tormenting thing that's grabbed hold of my life. And He'll come and He'll help you. He'll set you free. Amen. Let me pray over you. Now, Father, I thank you for these precious people. I thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear. But you've given every one of us in this room a spirit of power a spirit of love, and a spirit of sound mind. I thank you that this week no evil shall befall us and no plague can come nice. I thank you that this coronavirus has got to stay away from our people and their children and grandchildren. I thank you that we're going to have favor with God and with man. You're going to open doors that no man can shut. You're going to make highways in the desert. You're going to make the crooked path straight because we are doing our best to follow you and be obedient to what you've called us to do. I thank you that your hand's upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Have a great week. We love you.